Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as He makes all things new. We are excited to pursue His heart for the greatest city on earth in the center of the city. All right. Thanks, you guys, for your patience. Got a little bit of time. Um, uh, this is the second message in a series of Chicago Healed, a little mini series uh, before we go into our next one. Um, so this is ways that God is healing the city and as also healing what's in, what's in us. This week a politician called Chicago a hellhole. And I'm quite possibly this dude is a Christian, but... It's always easier to look at things and to see what is wrong and to see what is not happening and to see what God is not doing to utter such a phrase. But to think that there are people in the city with the Imago Dei, the image of God, it can't be hell because there are people here who look like God. And I believe there are things that God is doing in us and our community to heal. So last week, I talked about Chicago being healed from corruption. One reason that someone would think it's nothing but darkness that exists here. And we talked about um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see God. That in the Beatitudes is an answer for every single one of these things that we believe determines who we are as a city. And as we go through these Beatitudes, there's something that I want to make sure we revisit every year because they are just so rich in the nature of how our expectation to walk as believers, as salt and as light, both things that are not self-preservatives, but you put on other things to preserve them. So this week is Chicago healed from Poverty. See how easy it is? You just say Chicago's going to be healed from poverty. It's just that easy. Then it's just completely gone. But I just want to talk about something that God is doing in us to begin to untangle the things that, you know, the poverty mentalities that we have. And, you know, some people think it's only poor people who have a poverty mentality. Wealthy people also can have a poverty mentality. How God is doing different things in us, that sometimes we need to be generous, sometimes we need to save, and either one of those things can be very stretching for us in the way we think about money, in the way we are like sometimes comparing ourselves and jealous of what other people have. This all comes from an idea of scarcity, that there is not enough on the earth to go around, so we have to hoard enough for ourselves. But there is something that God is doing that will offer us the opportunity to operate from abundance. Imagine that, that you don't need to actually possess something to operate as if you have received it. And poverty will make us think that we can't begin to move that way. There's a story in 1 Kings 17, and it is about Elijah calling down, not rain, but calling down a drought on Israel. Israel had been led so long by all of these wicked rulers, and the two most wicked were actually in office. It was Jezebel, who was queen, and Ahab, who was king. And God was upset, as he does sometimes, and things happen to where he wants to teach them a lesson, 
by hardship, by surely, if I put this person through this hard thing, they're going to turn to me. But you know how we do sometimes is that uh, we turn to God as long as the hardship is happening. As soon as it's over, we forget all about that. God, please, you know, anybody ever pray that prayer? God, please, if you get me out of this, I will go to church, I will be faithful, and as soon as we're out of the pain, we're like, well, you know, we start negotiating back about what we said. This is the same thing that God was hoping to happen with Israel, but this drought went on and on and on for three and a half years, a drought. Now, it wasn't that no rain fell, a little bit of rain fell, just to keep place lush and make it not a wasteland, but it got way less rain and it happened because Elijah prayed fervently. There's no history of Elijah where he came from. Like many of the other prophets will have some kind of history. It was as if he dropped from the clouds the same way that he left the earth when he ascended into the clouds. Some people believe he was a Gentile. Some people believe he's an Israelite. Whatever it was, he was used mightily by God and became the model for prophecy in the Old Testament. If you remember Jesus being transfigured and um, in... Uh, and um, I believe it's in Mark 9, he's transfigured, and he's on a mountain with Elijah, representing the prophets, and Moses, representing the law. Elijah is a model for what a prophet should look like in Scripture. So in 17 and 17, it says, It happened after a while, after the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. So Elijah was being fed by ravens, drinking from a brook, but the drought came all the way to him. He gave this word, and the drought came to him. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup so that I may drink. And as she was about to get it, he called her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah." Nobody wants to be poor. Poor people don't want to be poor. They are yearning for something else, and rich people are doing everything they can to gather things so that they don't end up in poverty. Uh, this is something that we avoid with everything in us, but Jesus seems to encounter those and see faith in those who are poor more so than anybody else. Why is that? Because when you are poor, you have a definite understanding of your need and your dependence upon other, others. And your dependence, your need for God. And our studiousness and our ability to gather resources, we kind of, 
you know, grow, our, grow God out of our lives. Because we don't need him to meet our day-to-day situations and our day-to-day circumstances. We don't really need to have faith that we would be able to pay a bill sometimes. We don't really need to have faith that we would need to be able to go and buy groceries. I remember it was a time when me and my wife needed faith to go and buy groceries. Here at this Aldi right here, we would go to this Aldi and we'll be sliding our card and we're like, I don't know if this is going to work. Is this going to work? I don't know if this is going to work. We were that, that close to needing food stamps or needing that sort of thing. Um, but God constantly showed up for us and it was a beautiful picture of him growing us on the edge of our faith. But there's constantly this idea in scripture that God is, loves the poor. And then you have this huge verse in the Beatitudes that blessed are the poor in spirit for there is a kingdom of God. Now I can spiritualize that if it wasn't for the Luke version that literally says blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of God. It doesn't say poor in spirit. I can spiritualize this and say, you know, if I just need to be hungry for God and, you know, I will get the, the kingdom of God, it's going to be amazing. But Luke says literally, blessed are the poor. Why? They are very aware of their need for God. That in our gathering, our growing, our need for abundance. Remember we talked about last week, our chasing after the wind and grasping for things, that we grow God out of our lives, our need for him, and our need to believe in faith for him to show up and say, God, unless you do this one thing, I am not going to make it. And I'm telling you, this is where, this edge is where all the miracles happen. That the miracles don't happen in the comfort of my home um, when I'm the most safe. All the miracles happen when I'm very uncomfortable, things are feeling chaotic, and I just want to (laughs) run. Fear of flight, I'm picking flight right now. (laughs) Fight or flight, I'm picking flight right now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That God has given the kingdom to the poor. That people can over-spiritualize that and go, well, man, that means that everybody is supposed to be in poverty. I'm taking a vow of poverty. No, it just means we need to need God. (laughs) And, And it means that we need to need God and the poor need God in such a practical way that the kingdom belongs to them. This is why you have to find us ministering to the poor in and amongst them. You have to find that. Because this is where the kingdom of God begins to manifest in us. All the things that become corrupted when they become wealthier, they become um, status-driven. None of that exists in a community. And I was thinking these guys over here that I make, take them meals every week and I invite them to church. I'm like, they never come to church. Why is that? Uh, probably because they don't want to leave their stuff. Probably because... Um, They don't want anybody to take their stuff, which is the same for people who aren't homeless. They don't come to church because they don't want to leave their stuff. And how about us beginning to reach out to them where they are? That is beautiful. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's not sexy. It's not pretty. But here it is in Jesus' own words. 
at when we find our need, we find his kingdom breaking through. And then there is this one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In five. Ugh, meekness is not a desirable trait to have, right? You got poverty, you got meekness. Like, what are you talking about today, man? It's just like, it's all depressing stuff. <laughs> meekness is um, submission. And I like to think of it as meekness is the, the um, not having the need to engage in a fight. To prove you're right. And blessed are the meek, so they shall inherit the earth. So here we are, and we have the poor, and the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God, and the meek shall inherit the earth. Wow. We probably need to be found around people who embody these. That not everyone who engaged in proving that they're right engages in meekness. Where did Jesus get this from? He got it from Psalm 37. And this whole scripture is about us. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for this place, but it shall be no more. But let the meek, the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. This gives a context for the meek inheriting the earth, because people who do evil seem to be prospering so well that the poverty that we are careful about in our own hearts towards the Lord seems to not affect others. Meekness in the midst of us letting God fight our battles and letting him be just, that we don't have to prove ourselves. That comes from poverty. When every argument we have to win, I tell my kids sometimes it is much more difficult to walk from, away from a fight than to engage in one. Because you truly have to trust that God is going to work things out for you and do it in a way that he's always done. Chicago, healed from poverty, understanding meekness. And it's not always going to be something that divides us. Some of us trust in God by saving. Some of us trust in God by being generous. There is not a full, one-size-fits-all message on what the poverty mentality looks like to us. People have been preached that. You're normally in a church that's like, okay, God wants you to be blessed. 
or you're in a church that God wants you to be poor. You're like, which one is it? I don't know. I used to be in a church, and it'd be like, you know, Jesus wore um, the garment that he went to the cross. It was a wealthy garment, and, you know, you could just make everything about either Jesus was rich or Jesus was poor. Truly, God desires us to know ourselves and to know our relationship with money and to know our history with money and what way that makes us form things around us so we don't have to trust him and we don't have to invite him in. And we pray prayers that aren't answered sometimes because those prayers mean we won't need him anymore. He's like, surely I'm not going to answer that prayer the way you want it to be answered. Do not fret because of evildoers, no be envious of workers of iniquity. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We live in a place that it is very stark difference between where we live and we cross the street and go into Chicago. You don't need any signs to know when you've gone from Austin into Oak Park, even though it's right across the street. That we've created all these systems of ways to remind people that they are not dignified and remind people that they don't belong. And how do we begin to untangle that even in our own lives? It is by investing in being a part of a system that honors and loves people no matter what their state is in society. That something in us sometimes tells us that we should roll out the carpet for those who have the bread and have the resources and have all that, like it says in James. And then we say to those who are poor, like, hey, you sit way in the back. We're going to be real messed up when we get to heaven and a first shall be last and a last shall be first. And we understand that the kingdom of God who has been given to, even to those without resources. So sometimes trusting in God means that I be generous. Sometimes trusting in God means I save. Growing up in poverty, it was weird for me. So I grew up in poverty with one parent, and then I would go live with another parent, and I was middle class. It was really like, it would mess with my head. My, my mother um, received child support from my dad. He paid her a certain amount the whole, you know, time that uh, after they got divorced and until all the kids turned 18, found out that amount wasn't enough, and so he paid a lump sum of nearly 20K or something to my mom from his uh, retirement. And my mom, struggling with that, like, poverty mentality, the money was always gone. Even something, an amount that big, it was gone. And knowing that when I struggle with the poverty mentality, it is the idea that I need to spend quickly. Because I don't know if I'm ever going to have it again. i got to spend it really quick. It's got to leave my hand. And me learning to save and learning to plan and do all that was a place, an area of growth. That's how I attack the poverty mentality. There are some who are become wealthy by being miserly. By, you know what I'm saying, loving the used things and loving the, like, broken things and having holes in your shoes and doing all that. And then what does faith look like for them? To be generous. 
to trust God and say, I know he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly. And it is about God working through me, not holding everything. And church was just taught to like believe one single monolithic way about money and about poverty. And it manifests differently among different people. This is why Paul wrote that some, it's not a matter of eating or drinking. Some people eat, some people drink, some people don't. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That we all get to grow in our relationship with God and see, God, what part of my life am I hiding from you? What part of my life do I not trust you, Father? And that we're not taking cues from a world that's going to praise us for one thing or another. That Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, and nobody wants to be poor. The poor don't want to be poor. The rich don't want to be poor. Yet and still, here we are left with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit have actually hidden treasures in a place that nobody would look. It's like hiding him in a dump. Because we're so busy chasing gold that we wouldn't know the treasures that exist there. It is in this place that we understand humility, we understand meekness, we understand faithfulness. We understand the need, we lose the need for competition. We lose the need for making ourselves appear greater than we are. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That God works out justice. He works out life amazingly through us. Until I was doing this message, I didn't think about how formative this memory was of me being in my church in in L.A. It was called L.A. Church of God. And (laughs) as the kids, we were trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so we go up into the kitchen, and we get out the peanut butter, and it's like all these kids around, I don't know, it's just kind of, church went on forever then. So you would go in the morning, and you would just like stay there. And I don't know where our parents were in a prayer meeting or something, but we're like, let's go get something to eat. We go into this, uh, we go into the kitchen, and there is like the emptiest jar of peanut butter I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And we're just like trying to scrape it, and like, And it it did something to me having this moment happen in the church that maybe I thought, you know, God doesn't want to provide. Maybe scarcity is something that I am going to have to deal with my whole life. Maybe it is the understanding that there is no abundance for us to walk into. But you know what? That was a lie. That even sometimes our parents put on us an understanding of scarcity, an environments put in our mind that there's, there's nothing but scarcity. And here is this widow taking this cake, this small cake that she has, and dividing it and giving it to Elijah. And it says that God didn't send Elijah to a widow in Israel. He sent 
Elijah to a widow in Zarephath, the only Gentile he had any encounter with. You know who also had an encounter in the same area? Jesus. His encounter with the Syrophoenician woman was in Sidon, the same place. Funnily, funny enough, Zarephath is a place that Jezebel was from. So the queen he was running from, this is her hometown, has this encounter. She makes a cake for him. Why? I'm not telling you to make me a cake and bring it next week, okay? That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But God was testing her faith, but also testing Elijah's faith. A dried up brook, and he's going way out of his country because God wanted to keep him away from Jezebel and Ahab. And in the same place, where the Syrophoenician woman asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus says, should I give the children's bread to the dogs? And she says, even the dogs get the crumbs off the table. This like idea of provision and trusting that God is going to provide for us. And that he's going to give us everything he needs in due time, if only we shall wait. It is not easy to live a life where scarcity is all around us and every message is of lack. Why? Because every corporation wants to fill our message of lack, right? So how do you do it? You raise the message of scarcity. There's not enough time. Buy now. You know what I'm saying? You put something in a cart. <laughs> there are only a few of these left. You're just like, ah! <laughs> Did I even want that? I didn't really. I don't know if I really wanted that. This message of scarcity is the only thing that man could bring up, but yet God has given us a place of abundance. And you're probably wondering, what is that place of abundance that you're talking about? You know, there's a room with donuts in it. But for me, it's like a room with applesauce in it. This is like abundance. Yes, Lord, this is amazing. You've given me all this. This is wonderful. No, that's not what it is. The place of abundance is a word. That is operating from a place of abundance that is the antithesis of poverty. That you realizing the word that God has given you is money in the bank. It is just not cash yet. So I can look at this guy calling Chicago a hellhole and laugh because we know the promises that God has given us. It is very difficult to hold on to things when everything you see looks like the exact opposite. I mean, this lady, you're talking about an empty bin, no flour, no oil, and to look at it and see abundance. But this is what happens over time with us holding on to the word that God has given us. It actually has us see, it actually has us move from a place of abundance or abundance. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't just stay and we, get, we just can't stay and call things as they are forever. That's just not who we are. I see there's violence there. Wow, that's amazing. Prophetic. I see that I don't have enough money for this. That, that's true. 
But the truth of the reality is that God is going to take you to the edge of scarcity. And that's how you step into abundance. That we cannot be people who are afraid of poverty. Because all that does is lead you down the very wrong path. So are you saying we should give everything away and be poor? No, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying we shouldn't be afraid of it. Just like we shouldn't be afraid of death. Why? I get to live with Jesus. Why should I be afraid of that? Apparently the poor get the kingdom. Okay, why should I be afraid of that? Apparently the meek shall inherit the earth. But so much of what we're doing is trying to outrun all of that. <laughs> get away from me. I don't know. God has brought me this far, but I don't know if he's going to like really do it this time. Trust me, he's really going to do it this time. Because that is what he does. I'm telling you, and I'm going to keep saying this as a testimony. Whatever I thought was the edge in the process of getting this house, the edge receded even more. And we were called out more and more and more and more to the edge. And like, God, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to not even just look stupid. I'm going to be like legally liable for stuff if this doesn't work out. And he's like, remember the promises, remember the promises. You're operating from the abundance of God if you have the word of God to stand on. But I, I need a specific word. Uh, flip, open a Bible, find a word that you like, that's your word. <laughs> is that easy? Seriously, is that easy? <laughs> I could give you a list of ten. I'll put that in the email this week. A list of ten ways to operate from abundance of God. And it, all it is is standing on his promises. That's why I quote this all. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Ephesians 3.20. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You can build your house on these words. And I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of being impoverished. Why? Because I've lived a long life and I've not seen the righteous forsaken. Healing in your body. I've not seen the righteous forsaken. Whatever you need in resources, jobs, cars, whatever you may need. This is not a prosperity gospel. It is we stand on the promises of God. Why should we ever be afraid of poverty? Because we receive the kingdom of God. What we should be afraid of is not surrendering parts of our life to him. Not trusting him with parts of our life. You guys want to stand up? It's, Father, I just thank you today, God, for your abundance um, that you bring us into, Lord Jesus. Even today, God, I ask that you would never let us forget who you are. And we operate from a place of abundance, not a place of poverty. But you would teach us meekness. And you know what? You don't teach us meekness. You give us an opportunity to be meek. You give us an opportunity to be wronged. 
You give us an opportunity to trust that vengeance is yours and not ours. And blessed are the poor, and blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I thank you for opportunities for us not to know everything, to trust you, to grow in our faith, to walk immediately to the edge of our faith. And even when you start talking about resources, that we all can be filled some type of way. But there's something about surrendering the first half of the cake to you, God, that blesses the whole pot and makes sure it doesn't run out. Even as we go through many different situations, Lord Jesus, that we would not be those who are controlled by the fear of poverty, but we would be those who are inspired and moving and operating out of abundance. I can give from the bottom of my heart. I can be committed with everything that I have because I know you are an abundant God. And you have so much for us on this earth You have so much for the city, so we speak and prophesy abundance over Chicago right now in Jesus' name. That it would no longer be known as a destitute wasteland, but it would be known as a place of wealth. It would be known as a place of generosity, as a place that honors and maintains the dignity of the poor, Father. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.